stories to you. Hello, my name is Magdalena Ball, and I'm delighted to be hosting this conversation with Kerry Shying, Ivy Ireland, and Ed Wright as part of the Newcastle Writers' Festival's Stories to You series in 2021. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which I live and work, the Awabakal and Waramai people, and pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging, and with a particular welcome to all Aboriginal people listening to this conversation. I'd also like to thank you, listener, for your ongoing support of the Newcastle Writers' Festival. Today's guests have all had books re recently published by publisher Puncher and Watman, and since they've done a couple of joint launches, we thought it might be fun to get a few people from that um, group together to talk about poetry, their new work, and what it means to be a poet in 2021. So um, Kerry Shine is a poet of Chinese and Wiradjuri family who held the New South Wales Writers' Centre Emerging Writer Grant in 2017. Kerry's poems have appeared in Cordite, Snap Journal, Verity Law, Ear to Earth, and Women of Words 2016. Her bilingual pocketbook of poems, Sing Out When You Want Me, was published in 2018 by Flying Islands ASM Cerberus Press. Kerry was shortlisted in the Helen Ann Bell Prize and the Noel Rowe Prize, in, and she's the holder of the Varuna Dr. Eric, Dr. Eric Dark Flagship Fellowship for 2019 for the manuscript Know Your Country, her second Puncher and Watman book, the first being Levenses, and the book which she will be reading from today. Ivy Ireland has worked as a bookstore owner, performer, writer, musician, academic, prop player. Um, Ivy's literary awards include the Australian Young Poets Fellowship, the Harry Jones Memorial Prize, the Thunderbolt Prize, the Newcastle Poetry Prize Local Award, and runners-up in the UC International Poetry Prize. Ivy completed her PhD in creative writing at the University of Newcastle, and her poetry's essay, poetry essays and reviews have been widely published in journals and anthologies, such as the Anthology of Australian Prose Poetry, Cordite, Overland, Mascara, Going Down Swinging, I could go on. She has two books with Puncher and Watman, Porchlight, and the recently released The Owl Inside, which she'll be reading from today. Ed Wright is a poet and writer who lives with his wife and two children in Newcastle. His previous publications include five nonfiction titles, among them Ghost Colonies and The Left-Handed History of the World, a chapbook of poetry, The Empty Room, two blues CDs, The Floating World and White Bread, and he's written for a number of newspapers in Australia and overseas. Ed's also a sometime teacher of creative writing at the University of Newcastle, where he has a PhD, and he has a PhD in American literature from the University of Sydney. His two Puncher and Watman books are When the Sky Becomes the Space in Your Head and the recently released Gas Deities. So long introductions, apologies for that, but uh, lots to, to introduce. Kerry, Ivy and Ed, welcome. And congratulations as well, albeit a little belatedly, uh, on the new books. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Maggie. Thank you. So um, we all know each other really well, which is wonderful. And I thought it might be, and we're all together in a room, which is really, really lovely too. So I thought it might be nice if we run this like a conversation. So you can respond to each other as much as, as to me and to my questions. I will prompt and keep things moving, but please just feel free um, to jump in and respond to one another as well, as much as you'd like. Cool. <laughs> Okay, so I thought it might be fun. I'm going to try and get as much poetry into this session as I possibly can. Um, it's not going to be easy because there's three of you and there's a lot of fantastic poems. Um, we could each have 30 minutes, but um, or 40 minutes, which I think we'll go for. Um, but I thought it might be fun to have each of you start the session by each reading a poem in turn. Um, and given that I've been lucky enough to hear each of you read, and I know you're all pretty wonderful, um, I thought maybe you could each read the title poem from the, each of your collections. 
So, Kerry, do you want to start? Yeah, I'd love to start. Thank you. And it's kind of interesting because I actually haven't read this title poem before at any other reading. And I have been reading a bit lately, which has been fun. So it's called Know Your Country. Deep roots fend off heat. Those fires that fling themselves cross treetop to treetop. Never pause to gloat on ground obtained below. The wild hot teeth of fame. See not one finger put upon the dark black soil. My encrusting solid cake of bitter years and fine spring days. Both worn to nubs, to wormy flub for nothing. But this, now this hate, this conflagration calling birds to fly or die. Nothing on four legs will stand me and my sly rhizome. Fat tuber, dull and heavy arsed. I'm plenty. I am planting for the green tomorrow. Deep roots manured, surpassing tree. Mm. Thank you for that. Uh, we could just go round the table, I guess. Ed, do you want to go next? Yeah, sure. This one's called Gas Deity. Um, nitrous Oxide about as close as it gets to the gods without sacrifice. The nonsense of origins, a pretty poly epiphany polyphony cackling through the wireless speakers of the mind. It's a shame they don't serve religion at the dentist anymore. It damages the brain, the wowsers say, and it's true that religion should be consumed in moderation. But what's a few cells culled from the mortal billions while they drill? My last dentist, wore loud shirts and installed bad crowns in mouths. His talk of motor yachts as he drilled and filled was a poor craftsman's desperate superiority. The man was all enamel, an anger coated in achievement. My mouth was his McMansion, his shirt an admission of life's being elsewhere, probably Hawaii. My new dentist takes 3D images of my jaw. There are coloured regions like a rain chart, where the teeth press together, mountain ranges chowing down on the unevenness of things, clenching the inequality of dreams. Megabytes ride the ether. In the next room, a small mill the size of a budget printer carves the crown. We watch it together, wearing our smiles. Who needs gods when you can do this? He fits it, bakes it, glues it in. So many almost miracles, so many leaps of reason to tantalise the understanding. His assistant gives me the bill. God is historical, and I am on my way to join him. This dentist is younger than me and in better touch with the future. He looks like a movie star, and I'm already looking back to the old days when we self-administered religion. We were stupid then. Beginnings seemed endless. The gods were mostly with us. We found them when we drove to Macca's and sucked the nitrous out of ten whipped cream bulbs in the car park, then tried to order burgers from the smiling girls inside without dissolving into laughter. <laughs> Thank you. We'll, we'll all dissolve into laughter. <laughs> OK, Ivy, do you want to...? Sure, this is the owl inside. It was the owl who called me outside. Boo book, if I know my owls, and I know my owls. Nothing too mystical about it. This was a reminder to take out the bins. Green bin, and regular. I near sprained my ankle dragging the two heavy grass clippings up the too steep drive. 
in the dark. I terrified the possum with my clatter. We jumped, his landing more graceful than mine. He wasn't hauling a bin. In fact, it was numinous. Scorpion moon in a cloud ring, bleeding out into the mottled sky like thoughts through an empty evening. If no one else felt the connection, owl, bin, ring, then the revelation is solely mine. And that is as it should be. Afterwards, I stood statue still in the small woods behind the solemn house, my chest too bare in all this near cold, absorbing moonlight like a witch. I sought to record the sound of the owl to play back to you later. Once I had caught it, I realised I never would. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Um, look, look, one of the reasons I wanted you to read the title poems, I mean, I think all of your work has, it's, it, it's tremendously different. Um, each of you is tremendously different in your styles from one another, but one thing that you all seem to have in common, and it's really encapsulated to my mind in the title poem in particular, is this kind of sleight of hand, really, between um, very wry humour and kind of a deep um, profundity of, you know, what, what is life all about? What, what is the meaning of life? You know, I, did, I think you, you make that question, what is the meaning of life? You know, the poets <laughs> forever have been mm. um, approaching, but you make it fresh by approaching it with, a, you know, a very kind of almost day-to-day -day wry sense of humour. So I wonder if you could just talk to me about that quality, well, because I think it pervades all of your work. I think, I think and I, mean, I don't mean to start on you here, Ed, but we do um, go, you know, niggle at it like a bad tooth. And, and I think that is what's there in all the poetry. When, no matter how it starts, you always end up with that slightly wobbly tooth of, oh, what is this really thinking about when you're working? Mm. Do you know, and the, the poem kind of throws that up in your face so you do tend to though in some sense at some point in the poem whether it's taking the piss out of yourself <laughs> or taking the piss out of something else in your you know uh, environment around the fact that you are questioning um, you know that what are we here for who are we at all um, and whether you have the right to do that or and a whole lot of that it all sort of does collapse into a bit of an ashy heap and then hopefully you rise at the end at the end of the poem saying ah and and I guess for me that's the point is it always seems to go through that process and then it's the point of making that into something that's fresh or palatable but for me that's the process that whether I know it or not is happening every time in the poem um, no matter how well-meaning I start out, I don't know, somebody dies. Like, mm. <laughs> whether it's hope, whether it's a person, whether it's a bird, whether it's a bushfire, do you know, there does seem to be some sort of cataclysm, mm. whether it's a, my own piece, I don't know what. And, and I don't know whether that's what you mean by, you know, dealing with that profundity, but it just seems like it's a bubbling baseline. Mm. Yeah, I, f I feel like in Ivy's work, for example, um, I'm just going to address you here, but, um, you know, this idea that you come up against, which is, you know, the owl, the owl is the owl, of course.
course, an owl is an owl, and an owl is in and of itself a pretty powerful symbol. But it's also, I feel it's also what you cannot express, you know, that you're up against this notion of, how do I get at this thing? I feel it, it's, you know, it's right there in front of me, but it's also shadowy. Yeah. It's funny, I actually feel like, especially in this collection, I was really resisting my... I don't know, general philosophical quest to get at all of that, you know, to be enamored with the numinous and to always be trying to explore these issues, you know. I really just wanted to get to something so simple and maybe domestic or, yeah, I'm not even really sure, but I couldn't do it, you know. <laughs> I kept coming, you know. I wanted the owl to just be the owl and the green bin to just be the green bin, you know, and it's still coming back, all of these things. I guess it's because, like Kerry was saying, it's there. And you're mm. writing the poem, and the poem is writing you, and I, I guess, yeah. Is it and and twin process? And these poems became the title poems. So I mean, I also like think you know, visit to the dentist. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a great Elizabeth Bishop poem also about going to the dentist, mm. which um you know might have inspired that to a certain extent, and the girl mm. sitting in the waiting room and things like that. But uh, this was actually based, you know, partly on a real experience. It's about the idea that kind of, uh, I've you know, that, that I got a dental implant done and I was just amazed that in half an hour it just sits and you watch it happening on a little mm. printer and it's quite astonishing. But then it feeds into the other sort of consideration is how do I stitch this all together? And I don't really, you know, I'm not a thinking how do I do it? It just happens and then I kind of try to shape it. Mm. Um, but I'm thinking I'm really interested in the idea of doubt as a, as a, a kind of a more generative alternative to faith because I went through a whole sort of phase of trying to kind of understand the potential for faith and I just couldn't come to it. But so what I'm more interested in a way is is, is doubt as an open way of living and, and of finding value in the world and that there's nothing beyond this world. And, and so, you know, for looking, look, I, I find poetry as a way of looking for the magical in the everyday. So doubt conflated with wonder. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, in, I, I agree. Ed. I mean, part of this poem in Know Your Country is about never pausing to gloat on ground obtained below and saying, you know, my sly rhizome, the fat tube, a dull and heavy ass. you know, that everything below the ground is always completely safe from mm. the fires, from floods, from everything. You know, there's all this below ground stuff. Do you know, if... if if Eve had have been offered a potato in the Garden of Eden, we'd all be thinking quite differently, really, wouldn't we? Rather than an apple, because it's so safe. So I always feel like all this magic stuff is kind of like these tubers, this potato, it's all safe. And we're all, we all have that knowledge of nature and the, and the ground and, and that magic in us, and we know it. You know, we just know it and we can access it, as Ivy says. And it's always perfectly safe. But, and it's not a case of faith or religion either. No. It's it is an open, yeah, as you say. Is it doubt, doubt, is. doubt is wonder, but maybe also doubt is humility? It mm. is humility, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I wrote another one about it, actually, called mm. Hush, Bring in a um, Magician. Oh, well, the lead-in like, <laughs> lead like that, how could we resist? Yeah. I think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kind of, you know, yeah. I don't mean to just... 
push you That's aside. You know, humility is important. Mm. Like I, I think mm. a lot about yeah. that, and it's a way yeah. of you know kind of keeping yourself in check as well. And and I say that That's you know, right. I, I say that not in terms of just you know my general philosophy of life, but also I feel like in your work, it's like the superpower that charges it. You know, I feel like you you come into these very domestic situations. These the, you know these these moments in your day to day, in what is in all of our you know when I read your work and I'm going oh yeah of course that's my life too mm. so in all of your readers day-to-day lives but you come in with enough humility that you you begin to almost probe deeper and go okay well who am i anyway you know in yeah, this situation right. what it's, does it mean when i'm here so, in this world at this moment yeah it's mm. it, and it's also most um a kind of stepping off point of a sense of your own insignificance mm. this really nice place to be i find yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no it's, it's it's a real freedom in that it's an absolute freedom <laughs> yeah, so yeah, i'm yeah. i'm gonna read this one to you which again has never been read it's called hush fetching a magician sympathetic magic has a bad rap under velvet starry skirts stevie nicks girls with the full hair and the sullen eyes it's the sign you went cuckoo, the stamped in premature unreason, sending social scientists into cackleberry squawking. Conjure up the centre for a moment in the high air of the seashore. Let the birds hold down the corners of your frail limit. In the combination of those warm-hearted beaks, do not look them in the eye, adding insult to the injury of your disturbance. Hold the minute, complete evaporation. An agreement never made a bone hill any faster than dissent. Did knowledge hidden inside small ladies, sitting rocking by a fire, still add up the same? Nothing grew on the dockets of the supermarket when the vouchers all redeemed got lost in the graceful swirl of the hair and skin. Those dreams your labouring damn mother gave you before the stone air bird core. Your symphonic music took off into the sky. See now how this, the taking time to fetch it down, a trade as moribund as cobbling, yet near to death has died. Mm. So, yes, my second poem. Yes, and that does uh, that does really call to mind some of the you know a lot of the different themes that we've been talking about, which yeah. I think also that are you know in common with all your books, even though again you you kind of come into the world with such a different, I think yeah. rhythm, rhythm mm-hmm. and vocabulary um, and tension, but at the same time this, there's these underpinning questions and, and pushes and you know mm. um, thrusts that you you seem to be going for, so. When, when I walked in, you were talking about which poems you were going to read, so I know you've got some ready. So, um, and since Kerry jumped in and read a second I poem, we have to have evenness. Can I get maybe Ivy, do you want to yeah. go next and just read one? You, you can pick, and then we'll, we'll get Ed to read one, and then we'll riff on the themes in common again. Okay. I'm going to read one that is all about that, trying to get to the everyday domestic Perfect. stuff that I was talking about. It's called Single Mum. The objects scattered across her room are galaxies, rising up, hovering for an instant where they are, then flinging themselves out the door, flying by my fixed presence in the hallway. Always too fast, with far too much velocity, I can't catch them. I never could. They have done this to me all along. Teething toys to Barbie dolls, goodnight moon to Matilda, 
Beetle to Scrubble. There were nappies once. Who can forget <laughs> breasts squirting milk across the cosmos? Spew rags and crapped jumpsuits. Sleeplessness, yes. When a good night's rest took off, that was a one-way journey too. Suggestions, snide comments. Everyone else knowing better and doing more. Febrile convulsions in emergency. Night wetting my bed, my leg. And preschool paintings on rented walls. The body holds it all. The mind cannot. Now. Out beyond the constant giving over of homework, dubious BFFs, extracurricular whatever afternoons, driving absolutely wherever into Friday night school mum whines, these <laughs> constellations of a life still push past my wide open eyes, speed by my gate mouth of quiet surprise. Who will close my lips? Who will put these things back in their place before this tiny world comes home? All this clinging to edges, clutching at an expansion that cannot be comprehended, let alone ended. I'd cease, but the objects don't. Stop! The future crone me still hovering in the hallway, expecting to get hit with all this endless shooting stuff cackles at the very notion of severance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. I was just rereading all the books and that was the one I just came back to again, again and again. And that's the thing. I mean, it's so visceral. It's, mm. you know, people think that, I think sometimes that you write these things from your head, but you write. Do you know, it's so sensory. That's such a beautiful poem because as a parent, you know, you... It, you, it just packs in everything that, as you say, your body feels. It's a letdown poem. It's a letdown <laughs> poem. Let Absolutely. <laughs> that feeling when yeah. your Sorry. baby... Sorry, Someone <laughs> else's baby cries, it doesn't matter. Your baby yeah. cries and suddenly you're like, oh, my God, my shirt's wet. Yeah. You know? And, and yeah. that's the thing is, you know, you so much of this is absorbed. You feel in your skin, you know. It's, exactly. It's all those mm. little moments and somehow they stack up and leak out through your pores, or in your case, through your pen. It's such a beautiful poem, I think. Yeah, and I'm going to get, let you read um, very shortly, Ed, but I, I do want to just um, touch very briefly on this notion of what we carry in our body as well, like this mm. kind of body knowledge, mm. which again is another, I guess it's another um, aspect that I find, you know, from all of your work in common, this idea of, you know, what what does it mean to carry this in the body? And, and what is what is permanent? Like there is something as well in this, this body knowledge, um, I feel, that is handed on as well, that kind of reverberates, okay, beyond the poem and beyond the work, but as a result of the work. And I'll just let that sit while you read, and then maybe we can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated that concept, and one of the things I've done in this book is there are five really long poems, and they're mm. dramatic monologues written in characters. Mm. Um, and but that question of what is body knowledge and I, I fascinated what the kind of the body knowledge of women having giving birth and that peculiar body knowledge and I've been thinking of this theory for a long time about how sort of 
men have invented culture as a compensation for the fact that they can't give birth. Yeah, I made and, a and penis. This is why, I mean, yeah. I made a penis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and this is why... This is why religions are all patriarchal in their, and, and essentially misogynistic, you know, yeah. so because they're the kind of, that's where the stars come from, they're the people who tell you those stories because you can't give birth. And so there's a lot of stuff so in this poem, I mean, I can't really afford to, um, you know, there's not enough time to read one of the long ones, which really does go into this in, there's a few poems. Well, you better tell us one of the names so that we can yeah. read it. Yeah, well, they're, they're all called bait gods, and there's okay. the first one is the the guy who's a real estate agent who ends up shagging all the people who come along, and then in the second one, um, which I think is um, it's about a woman who loses her baby, and her husband's working working in the mines, and she's up in one of those new estates somewhere up in the Hunter Valley, and he's away on fly in fly out, and she's just trying to kind of find something to hold or just even get a moment of this you know unbelievable sadness and what does she do mm. and so she's kind of um ends up well she ends up sleeping with a real estate agent um just because you know why the fuck not because well, and their real estate agents are just yeah. an inch away a drink away from yeah. sex workers really and then the third one's written in the voice of god who discovers that he's been overrated. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and he's quite irritated about pe the demands that are being placed upon him. And then there's another one about a male sort of poet who dresses up in drag um, and sort of doesn't have any legs either and he just sort of sits at his desk writing real estate copy when he'd rather be a poet. And, um, and then the final one is a woman who kills her husband and then goes on to kill God. Um, and they're just, they're playful. I mean, you know, it sounds a bit darker perhaps than it is, but it's, but it's, a, it's a way of exploring. And so I thought I might just read from the last one just a little bit. Like I won't have time to read it all, but this one's called The Last Professor. And um, lately I've been eating my old age. It is chalky and mainly unappetising. My successes have already been digested. Only the if-onlys. Vignettes caught in the wrinkled folds of my skin, my brain, the fantasy crumbs of unfinished yarnings, dressed with vinegared regret, persist, because their taste is imagined, not remembered. I struggle now to remember anything. Your face is unreachable. Your name changes. I have coated the past with plaque, whatever. The memory was never as good as the anticipation which was mostly better than the thing itself. Fleeting things, fleeing memories. All my rain has fallen. My small pond is being sucked into the sky. But I refuse nostalgia and stare at unmemorable death. Sometimes I see in the old images that I was beautiful, a privilege and a curse. And I must relive my disappointment having fall, at having fallen into the measure of other people's eyes, when my true desire was always to step to the side of reproduction and travel to the limits of my singularity. There are more ways to be contained than there are to be free. Every definition is a restraint and we are bound by the ideas of others, erroneous or otherwise, from the start. My skin, my shape, my smile, 
Most of all, they wanted how I gathered them with my gaze. Actors excel in fragmentation. They splinter themselves into fictions and gather multiplicity around them, which in turn attracts a crowd. I was the opposite, an assembler, not a dissembler. To love me was an opportunity to smudge your incompleteness, never thinking that completion might be a curse. How a stillborn baby is complete, a third generation tycoon, an astronaut who has seen the earth from the moon and can't find anywhere else to grow, a poet who has become a ball and can't think of anywhere good to roll. Completion is death, which is why as I eat my way through chalk to airiness, I cherish the unrequited, the left behinds that can't be finished, that fill the air with longing and stretch out time. The unrequited is the finest of mistakes, since what can't be, fin can't be finished also cannot die. And so you live, and so do I. Thank you. I, I feel like I want to go on for hours and hours having each of you just read, and, and somehow hearing you read together is changing the poems themselves in, a, in mm. an interesting sort of way too. It's like they're, the poems themselves are riffing off one another, which is, it's kind of cool. <laughs> it's hard to use that word, but it's, maybe this is something essential about the nature of good poetry too, that it, it is open enough so that you can allow for its growth through interaction. Hopefully. I mean, you hope that they're complete enough to go out on their own without you with them. But also, <laughs> but also in, incomplete enough so that they don't die. That's right. <laughs> to pick yeah. up your poem. Yeah, yeah the unrequitedness, yeah. that's yes. right. With space for something else to go into them. Like. Well, people, you know, for readers to bring themselves to them. Mm. Yeah. And, and you need holes in the poems. You know, that's you can't right. be controlling to do that. Yeah, they can't be yeah. hermetically sealed. Yeah. I mean, if a poem's hermetically sealed... I mean, Jan Dean once said to me, that's a really nice poem early on when I was writing, but take the last line off because it just closes the poem. Mm. That was the best advice I ever got because it was a case of, she was quite totally right. I mean, if nobody can get into your poem, if, it's, if you just completely close it up and go, here is a beautiful, completely done puzzle for you to play, look at and play with and admire from every angle then there's no porousness that allows people to, you know, merge with it. It's not a permeable membrane. And I think all good poems are permeable membranes of a sort. Mm, permeable. Permeable membranes, yeah. mm. yes, absolutely. And, I, you know, I feel like that's also something that um, I, I'm feeling through all of your work, this notion of, again, um, this wonder, this humility, um, this sense of incompleteness, but deliberately so. And, and, you know, maybe... Space, maybe, is a better word. Yeah, yeah I mean, I've, I, I, I really loved your first books that you produced with, with P&W, but I feel like this one's gone the next level in terms of that permeability. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that something you feel like... Well, let me ask you this. Is there a point in the creation of a book and, you know, you're working on various poems through the year or, or you know, at what, where, where you go... I think I have something here that's more than just a series of individual poems, but yeah. it's something that's building to something. Yeah. I got that very much with these yeah. five poems and the way they went together. Mm -hmm. And that was a very intense 
like period of creation. And it was kind of, I don't get that very often. Mm -hmm. And when I'm in that sort of mode, it's, it's, it is very intense and that's all I'm thinking about, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I did find that they were leaping, but it was really interesting. I didn't want to control it too much and kind of force it into a shape where they related too directly to each other. Yeah. That's the same, I did the leaping on this one. And this one went to Varuna as well. This was the book that I took to the fellowship at Varuna mm. for three weeks. And at first it was actually quite scary to try and decide whether what I would play with or would I add some more. And and I was lucky I had, you know, some, some really good assistance with Carol Major where we just talked about place, which was about bringing the ballast grounds mm. in Newcastle and kind of a bit more of what I meant by the ground, mm. speaking to itself. And, um, and aside from that, um, which was really important because that was really the important point that I had of, of how do you intentionally deal with a book that, as you said, suddenly came leaping, It's mm. a great word for how it feels. Um, and then what do you do then when you have to edit it or decide, is this the book? Do I put some other poems in and what goes with it? You know, shall I make it bigger or smaller? Will that just ruin it? Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or even going back Marty, to would the... you agree? Do you go, yeah. did you sometimes think to yourself, if I do this, will it ruin it forever and then I'll lose this? Mm. Or do I take the chance? Yeah, I had lots of questions like that with this collection. I actually had a whole section that I took out last minute, which was a collection of prose poems. Um, and... They just didn't fit, you know, they just weren't speaking to the same theme as the rest of them. And it was that simple, I just had to go, ah, let's kill my darling here and <laughs> cut that whole section out. It was really hard because I was like, no, there's some great stuff here or whatever it was that I was trying to do. But maybe it circles back to what you were talking about before too, where I think I was maybe trying to say something or teach some lesson yeah. there or mm. make some statement with them, which I do in prose poetry a bit actually. And I think I wanted to rid myself of that for this collection, you know, and just, mm. yeah. I'm also circling back to that idea of the permeable membrane and osmosis and that kind of, mm. yeah, connection that goes through. I find that, like, the permeability is partly slipping out of my voice and into character voices. Mm. And yeah. so that's kind of like something I really like to do in the poetry. I, I, I would like to write as the I... But to have that keep completely destabilised, even though my style is kind of lyrical, mm. I like to kind of undercut that by saying, well, yeah, it's a lyrical eye, but who the hell is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's I write in first mm. person also, and so I write I, but it's not always obviously me. Yeah. Yeah. Or who am I? You know? mm. Because I don't, I'm not all that sure I have a confidence in I at all anyway. So. I just find that romantic eye such a heavy concept in many ways as well. Well, it is. Yeah. It's yeah. too much. Or the so confessional eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, yeah, so as I say, it's, the eye is not such a, a concept. It's just, for me, I just find that it's, it's really good for me to have that immediacy. So I, I prefer that. Also, you know, it's hard for me because the other characters are usually animals and um, trees. So I've never written from their perspective because mm. they haven't really mm. indicated what pronoun they might like. <laughs> <laughs> and they never will. Well, until we understand what the chemicals well, that the trees exactly. are releasing yeah. are actually saying. Maybe that happens, that it'll be too late for me to be writing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
or we will have evolved into oh, another yeah. form yeah, anyway. Exactly. We will no longer be using pronouns. But that's probably yeah. a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. But All I right. want to be in that podcast. <laughs> I know, that's right. That'll be the next one. We'll work yeah. on that. <laughs> chemicals so, might be saying very nice things about us. Well, that's right. Yeah, I'm that's pretty sure that what my word is not saying a lot. It didn't flower this year, so I think I'm in the dirt. And I got two finger lines because I wasn't good enough at keeping the um, stink well, bugs out. So, like, yeah. we just maybe we're not listening. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Can we can we do one more? We we are, believe it or not we are um, almost at the end. I can't believe it. We've had mm. one question or something. But can we please have another poem and maybe another little conversation? I'll go a little longer. Well, I start. Maybe, you I should. got a quick one. Yeah. Start. You All start. right. And it's a funny one. Which. Okay, it's called Famous Birds and Snails. So it goes off what we're talking about. Mm. Fame must taste like methamphetamine, crack cocaine and the pink in Neapolitan ice cream to want to keep it on the tongue, all the while hollowing to a corpse. There are no famous birds giving a shit at the bus stop for a good cause. It's for the birds, not this, not fame. Too busy coordinating vision streams from eye to eye to give perspective on Facebook trending memes. Snails pay to the cheap seats. They need the cash. A lot of upkeep on the shells. Global warming, yes, it is a snail issue. Thank you very much, snailist bitch. <laughs> Fame is not a trait of birds, maybe the cassowary. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Do you want to go? Yeah, I, I do another short one as well. This one's called The Mower. I died stubbornly. It was the most exciting thing that had happened to me for years. Mowing the lawn in a thunderstorm. Eliza was wanting to go to the mall, but I was using the grass as an excuse. Hard to argue with a mower. When the lightning struck, I was amazed. Eliza saw me clutch my chest and drop. She screamed. It was a relief. I remembered our long love and felt special as the traffic parted for the ambulance. It would have been nice if the sirens were made of felonious month, but they were fast enough to bring me back. And I've never enjoyed waking up and being called a bloody idiot more. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't loved these dramatic monologues so much since like Robert Browning being a deranged monk or something. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I might uh, continue the bird theme here. Which, sure. Yeah, this is my FOMA or fear of missing out remedy poem. The greatest accomplishment of this day is brewing coffee, then sipping herbal tea instead. There's joy in disavowal, in sitting still, silent, at home. While the party of the year rages eagerly nearby, my name is on the door. I could be the guest of honour, no matter. Here is the bird, again, attacking my baby pine. Honey eater, fierce persistence, its first stage name. Shooing and scolding again later, I realise the boon she seeks is the pale green wool I use to stake the wayward spine straight to put things to rights. She sought to snatch the binding tool, not betray the essence. I find scissors, 
Not easy in a dreamer's stationary drawer. Cut the ties, throw the wool to the grass that wants mowing. Hope fierce persistence will spy my gift in the scrubby mire. The tree shall grow which way it will. The bird shall build her nest. If this is so predictable, why fight so hard to win against anything? There is an exhale always asserting itself out there, while I beg again and again for special treatment to not be subject to law, to ignore all my birthdays on a whim. There is no escaping the remembering that comes right before sleep. I sip my tea, this one strong with mint. Take joy in this. Pour the cold coffee over vanilla ice cream for afters. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love that. What a wonderful sensual place. Oh, yeah. 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 I just want, I want ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And again, I'll uh, just say that all of your work is so rich and sensual. You know, you can not only feel it in the body, but feel it in the taste buds, feel it in the, you know, in the sense and, and the things that you see. And, and, and I feel like that in itself is a kind of um, meaning Thank that you. comes Thanks. out yeah. in the rhythm and the sound and the sonic nature of, you know, the alliteration of the work. And don't like Ed on that. All right. Look, um, we're, we're at 41 minutes, so I'm going to end there, even though I want to go on and on and on, and we probably will after we turn this off. Yeah. But um, <laughs> Kerry, Ivy, and Ed, we're, that, was, um, that was wonderful. And thank you so much for joining me today. Listeners, we've been discussing Kerry Shying's Know Your Country, Ivy Ireland's The Owl Inside, and Ed Wright's Gas Deities all published by Puncher and Watman, all available for sale and all very, very highly recommended by me. Um, This session has been part of the Newcastle Writers' Festival's Stories to You series, which will continue until the end of May. Episodes will be available every Wednesday morning. So please follow the Newcastle Writers' Festival on Facebook and Instagram for regular updates. The 2021 festival will be held from September 24th to 26th. And uh, listeners, you're welcome to make a donation via the festival's website to support the event, which has been hit hard by COVID. So bye for now. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Stories to you.